From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ah, a nice pour this morning. Cold wine. It's afternoon, actually, now. Huh? Cold, cold wine for hot oh, days. That's, oh, it's ridiculous outside. Welcome to the winemakers. We are John Myers, Brian Casey, Sam Katuri, and Sal Chavez from La Luna Mezcal. Hell and, yeah. And, <laughs> welcome. Uh, among among the, the Chavez family... Uh, Empire in Sonoma, couple of restaurants, yeah, couple things going, on. couple things going. Yeah. Busy, he's a busy guy. It took a long time to uh, to get you to get make this happen. Bart's, Bart uh, on special health and safety protocol assignment <laughs> this yeah, week. No kidding. Uh, what happened? Has been. There? You guys have been talking for a couple of years about this, right? Yeah, more or less. No. Like uh, at one point, he approached me about you know inserting myself into a conversation about wine, which I love doing. I feel it's like the most appropriate thing. I think the easy way to understand this the, the, the category of Scott is through through the appreciation of wine right. almost. So um, I, that's always something I like to talk to songs about, sit down with them, get their opinion. Some of the best tastings I've had across the country have built some songs that appreciate the difference in each expression that we bring forward and what where it comes from. And so um, yeah, so it's, it's, it, this is a long time coming. I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're happy to have you here. <laughs> well, we were talking before we went on about the terroir of mezcal yeah well hold on can we just for people that don't (laughs) know go in a thousand feet (laughs) for people that don't know um because there is still people that actually don't know what mezcal is Mm. so i think it's i think it'd be cool to kind of just start from the top what's mezcal why is it not tequila i think it's tequila they Mm. think tequila can be mezcal whatever so just 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 yeah. a little breakdown so people know like what what is the definition of mezcal and what makes it different than tequila. So categorically speaking, or with the term mezcal originally meant a, a, a spirit made from agave, from from maguey, maguey, agave. They're synonymous, the same thing. Um, the the evolution of the category has become that the word is now owned by the government of Mexico, so mezcal is defined by essentially a DOC, a DO. Um, and so there are limitations as to where you can wear, where you can make it geographically, um, where um, what kind of agaves you could use, certain things like those criteria. Uh, but going back to like the beginning of time, if you will, mezcal was broadly an agave distillate, agave spirits. So within that, tequila falls in, right? So tequila is an agave spirit. So theoretically, it is a mezcal. Um, the concept of it was that it had to be a cooked agave. And that just is almost by default because you have to cook agaves to be able to make them make alcohol. And we can get into that specifically later. But um, so to sum up the category, it has to be an agave spirit, uh, uh, agave cooked spirit. Um, tequila is like mezcal because it also takes agave to make tequila. The difference is that tequila is now its own DOC as well, and they define certain states where you can make it. They define only one agave that you can make it from, only one varietal, one type. Which is? Which is Blue Weber, uh, tequilana Blue Weber, um, Azul. Um, Weber Blue, uh, so that's a, the, there's a lot of different names for the same agaves. We can get to that as well as you'll see in our labels, but that's the only agave you could use for tequila. Now, the biggest difference that's happened in, in, in the kind of industrialization of tequila is that it's become a, a, a pursuit of efficiencies, pursuit of, of high profit. So there's a lot of different mechanisms that you are used to cook the agave 
that now have become even machinery that's more chemical driven. So literally like a, a belt line that is um, basically with chemicals cooking out the sugars of the agave, right? So then that's where maybe like the the, the, the line is drawn in terms of what te how tequila is not mezcal anymore, but a tequila that's made with like a traditional method of cooking in a brick oven and then from fermentation uh, and then distillation is very much like a mezcal. But then the separation is in that, that new diffuser efficient tequila world, which is a majority of the biggest brands, right? Cause they, they're looking for high profits they're owned by big conglomerates. So yeah. their, their mindset has changed. I can, can we slow down on that yeah. for a second? Yeah. Cause that's blowing my mind. Yeah. The way the Jose Cuervos mm -hmm. of the world are Casa made is Ca the, the, the brands that you see in every supermarket that can sell booze and every liquor store all over the planet. Mm -hmm. They're, you're using air quotes, you know, for radio, uh, cooking it, but they're really, it's like a chemical process right. to extract the sugar. Yeah, to, to efficiently do it. So it's the best way to yield. So so basically, th this, is, this would be a very important point for people that love wine. You know, you, you crush a grape and that juice is fermentable right, right. away, right? You can, you can pitch yeast, you can let it be wild yeast. In the world of agave, agave in, in its natural state is made up of long chain carbohydrates. And so cooking it breaks it down to simple sugars. Uh, small sugars. Uh, basically what happens scientifically. And so the way that mezcal, how we do it, we, we produce uh, this year, 2022, the way that mezcal has been produced in Michoacan since the 1700s. We've preserved traditional methods. And what that means ultimately is underground roasting. Literally, yeah. the way that you would do, uh, you know, underground uh, barbecue, right, right, right. pig roast. Right. So you have a live wood fire above the live live wood fire. We put volcanic rock above that. We put a layer of protection. Typically, the leaf of that agave that we harvest off, we use that as a protective layer. We don't want that agave to actually char or right. actually fire roast. We want the smoke, which is where the smoky quality comes from. The smoke and the heat of that rock that it accumulated over the time that before we loaded it to cook that agave. We cook it for five days. Now, wow. yeah, five days underground. A tequila, in the world of tequila, even without going through that right. user chemical process, there's a thing called autoclave. An autoclave is very much like a pop pressure cooker. Right. That autoclave will do what we do in five days and four hours. So that, that already is very efficient. Yeah. Now, if you do it in, now, both of those have a tendency to have less than uh, perfect efficiencies or yields because once you take it out of the earth oven, especially there's going to be some that might fall into the oven, right? Some juices. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and, the, and the autoclave, same thing. You're going to have some some stuff that's, that's left over. And the world of diffuser, literally before the agave in a raw state is shredded and then passed through this belt, and it's a chemical that basically breaks down these sugars and be fermentable sugars, but it's it's a very efficient process. You, you lose nothing. It's, it's, it's the most efficient process out there. Right. But then you ask yourself a question in terms of the big brands. It's like, well, do you really want to be drinking something that's made with chemicals? Because right. a lot of times the messaging that we give the world is that chemicals are bad and that we don't want to do chemicals. And obviously the organic trend is right. a lot. Um, so there's that, there, there's that lack of awareness in the world of tequila where obviously dollars work and, and marketing being so big and important. No one knows this about the world of tequila and some of the biggest brands that are out there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, working to disparage any brand specifically, but it's just that's just the reality. You know, yeah. usually if a tequila is a certain price point, there's something going on there. You know, there's some efficiencies that they're hitting that no one else can to make a product at that price point, and that's usually because they're using such technology, right? So that's the first that's the first separation in terms of what traditional mezcal is is this underground traditional roasting 
versus today's world, which is a tequila. A tequila usually is either at the at the slowest level, like a traditional brick oven, literally like a room like this, layered with brick. That's 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 uh, powered by steam. Um, that would be a way to cook agave. It's literally agave stacked up in here. And, and then the other way would be this autoclave. And then the last one would be this diffuser. So those are like the three main methods of how you cook agave in the world of tequila and the world of mezcal, traditional mezcal, because there's also the separation of industrial mezcal now. Um, traditional mezcal had been done underground in, in an earth pit, earth oven. And to kind of keep it um, top, top line for everybody who's learning about this just now, basically, you're roasting that whole like it's not the root ball but it's sort of the base of the plant yeah it's, it's what they call people call it piña but it's a ball it's a piña right it kind of looks like a pineapple right yeah, yeah, yeah so basically the, the leaves become discarded you shave them off and then in the middle you have a it looks like a white pineapple right. with like a green outline in each little area right. because that's a, the, the the skin of the of the the, the leaf right the, um, and then when you put it in the oven and then you take it out it's brown because now all right. the sugars are cooked out and so now those sugars are ready to be crushed out and fermented. And you sort of like that's the that's where the mash comes from. Yeah, that's where you would that's where you would that's where you would then proceed into putting into your vats to start your fermentation. Right? The whole the whole thing, or do you, no, just you press, press it? it you you press press, yeah, you, we we use now um, not a very efficient way of doing it, but um, we use basically like a wood chipper, and okay. we we shred it down <laughs> into shreds, right. and we take that shred and put it into thousand liter wood vats, a bunch of them, right. and we. Um, fermented for 10 days. So our fermentation, because other places, other places of Mexico, what they would do different than us is they would uh, use a roller mill or crush it out with uh, some sort of mechanism that's weight. So then you, you basically are, are, are drawing out the juice and mm -hmm. the fiber is less important. But in Michoacan, the, the tradition has always been that you take the shred and basically you're making a steep, right? You put the shred with water and then over time, it's gonna create the actual same mash you know, so it takes a, like some some fermentations can be five days because they're really efficient at crushing out juices, and so it's, it's much more active. Ours steeps a few days to make the ultimate mash right. to be ready to attract the wild yeast to ferment. We don't pitch any yeast; it's just wild whatever's in the air. That's wild. That, that's that's, that's my next question. Yeah. Wow! So, like, who was the first one to do this? So, I mean, there's a lot of theories. There's pre there's there's pre-Hispanic theories um, in in the world of Mexico. There's post-Hispanic theories that the Spaniards. And specifically, the Filipinos. Um, our still that we use is called the Filipino still. For, mm -hmm. and I'll show. I'll show you what it looks like. It's probably blow your mind. It's such a simple thing, but you're like, how do you guys still with that? But a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of this technology was imparted by some of the visitors that came with the Spaniards, usually slaves, that taught us how to make alcohol. But there's a pre-Hispanic theory that made, that, that that stated that basically uh, a lot of natives had had. Come, come across doing this themselves. And there was different kind of what they call pre-Hispanic distillation. And there's subtleties in terms of what the difference might be in terms of the pre-Hispanic stills versus the the, the post. Um, but they're equal equally as, as fascinating to observe, to see, because a, a lot of regions, including ourselves through in, intention, have preserved these, these I'm gonna say technologies, all these right. practices, because it's been important, you know, and, and some people just don't know any different, which is the beauty of Mexico. You, you go to some regions, and you go to a guy and you say, why do you do it this way? He'd look at you sideways and say, why would I do it? Any, or I don't know any other way to do it. Because right. they're literally just kind of in their remote area, maybe a little disconnected from technology. They don't, they're, it's their custom, it's their tradition, it's something that they've absolutely held on to. And so when we started producing La Luna, that was a very important thing for me, was like, I want to be a brand 
in the industry in in the market that that has that, that can t say that we've preserved tradition on purpose because we easily could have just gone through the, the, the more efficient route. You know, we could have implemented different cooking mechanisms, different fermentation mechanisms, ultimately different bigger distillation vessels to be more efficient, but that's never really been the intention. Um, so that, that's kind of in our, our stance in all of this. So the sort of most commercial ways you could have just bought bulk spirits, right? right. Yeah, um, which, which to be fair, it wasn't bulk, it was a small guy, but when I first started La Luna and I first went back to Michoacan, I was buying from one guy right. and then about two, three years ago, three years ago, conceptually, two years ago, officially, we started producing ourselves. And so now like everything you see on the table, plus another 30 expressions, we produce ourselves like myself, Adrian and Michoacan, we, right. we were the ones that created the recipe that ultimately is what people taste today on the shelves of, of, of in the market. When you cook, yeah, how many of these are you cooking at one time? Um, so it's it's hundreds. Um, so like our, our smallest oven, the one that we have in Cotija, we have two sites where we produce. Um, Cotija is where we're from. My father, that that that, that, that was uh, that Bert talked about was the radio guy and the baker. Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, my dad is from Cotija, Michoacan, Cotija de la Paz, Cotija cheese. You've probably heard of that. Uh, yeah. We're from the small little town that produces authentic Cotija cheese. And my family's background was in Cotija cheese production. And my I, I still have uncles when I go there. Like I go there more frequently than any of my family now. Um, that are making some of the best cheese in the world. My uncle um, in 2006 won best cheese in the world in an Italian cheese competition. Wow, one that's of his cool. Pieces. Yeah, so it's it's, a, it's all fermentation, baby. Yeah, yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, and so um, that oven there in that small town and that that site it fits six tons of agaves. Oh God, okay. But that's a little because then the one in Mina Parapel, which is a different area of Michoacan. We have one oven that can fit up to like 22 tons, so it's a lot more. Well, these aren't underground anymore. Yeah, they're underground. Yeah. They oh, are. They're pit. They're still underground. They're, they're cones. They're literally cones in the ground. And so basically they're built up, at, at, like I was mentioning, the, the wood, then the rock, and then the, the protective layer of either Benka or the previous shred that was discarded from the last distillation, then the agaves, then what are called petates, they're like dry palm leaf mats that we put on top, and then literally dirt. And the volcanic rocks, so you excavate, you dig it out every time. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a process every time. So we have people now, because we've become a brand that's a little bit bigger, that like we have specialists in uh, Reyes and in the Parapel, they're specialists in building ovens. So he has his team and he orchestrates the breakdown of the opening of each oven. Right. And then also the building. You clean them out, literally clean them out. You clean out all the, the, the charcoal the, right, you know, right, the right. pieces in there. Then you load it back up, and so, and then you start all over. So it's very labor intensive. Okay, because I've seen video of really traditional mezcal production yeah. where it was out in the middle of nowhere, on these the land where the people lived, and they would cook it, and then the next cook they would pick a different spot, dig a new Do hole, it. and then they were just moving all over their property. Yeah, this is the oven. this is the six ton oven. This is in Cotija. So you see that literally it's like a stone lined oven yeah yeah and the, the the rock there's a volcanic rock yeah ours is stationary i can see that oh, being okay. someone's practice there's you know the one thing about mezcal and this is probably true with wine in different parts of the world different people do things differently right, right? Yeah. and so i've been to another state san luis potosi which is and i went to a really remote area where they've been doing it the same way it, it was pre-hispanic methods there so um, um you know centuries they've been doing it this way and they had one oven and what they do is really interesting they um the rock basically stays in place and because it's a desert they don't really have a lot of wood there 
And so what they use is the old shred and whatever shrub they can, but they literally build a little clay door. So basically they break down the clay door after the oven's done, the, the cooking's done, they, they clean everything out and then they load it back in and they build another clay door and seal it up. Their method in that regard is a little more efficient than ours because they don't have to build the rock up every single right, time. Right. I was fascinated because I was like, dude, this, I told I even looked at our guys, I'm like, this, this is pretty cool. Like, they, they guys figured it out. You know, that's a that's pretty cool, uh, like, nuanced difference. The, the outcome is the same. The way that they cook ultimately is with the heat of this rock and ultimately the smoke of, of whatever, um, uh, whatever they had in, in the oven to fire it up. Um, and that's where, like, maybe the, the confusion in this guy gets, you know, made for me very annoying because it's unfortunate that it's done this way. But, like, you know, when people say mezcal is tequila smoky cousin, and I always counter, I'm like, well, mezcal came first, so it's really right. daddy, right? Like, yeah. it's daddy. And, and more importantly, like, the smoke is is a byproduct of a traditional method. Now, the way it's been adopted with some commercial brands, it's at the forefront of the conversation. It's like, oh, this is smoky, try it out. And you're, you know, you're Do they just smoke. add yeah, smoke? Yeah, I mean, there's different ways. liquid you smoke? Can, you can, I, I, I can't, because I've never seen what they do. I can't say specifically what they do, so it's not fair for me to maybe assume. All I can say is they're, 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 it doesn't seem natural, like whether it's liquid smoke, whether it's maybe. Well, a lot of processed foods that are smoked use like a liquid smoke, smoke yeah. and, and, and it doesn't taste natural. It tastes chemically. Yeah. And the other part to it is distillation is very important, right? And, and, and uh, like, All right. Um, there was just a ghost in here. <laughs> yeah. A Bart Hansen. And, and um, the, the characterization of it being smoky and being bought into like from a distillation standpoint a certain way you distill if you get too close to the tails of distillation which is a very specific thing we're talking about here now like you would get more less desirable notes including maybe more excess smoke right. you guys will try ours and i'm sure you guys have had this guy i can't smoke. wait yeah i know we should we should probably start <laughs> talking we should yeah. let's pour one out uh, let's do one. while you're pouring yeah. so you know six tons 20 tons of of the pina sounds like a big number but what are the actual you know it's 20 tons how many gallons of finished product do you actually get um so it depends which i have it because right. everyone has different sugars uh, but like look, very much on average in Copija, we do six tons and we'll get about 350 liters so about 20 20 kilos of agave per right. liter okay. which is pretty standard for it's very inefficient yeah um, no it's, but, it, but it's, right, it, right. It, it's very it's very on par with traditional mezcal in terms of how much agave it takes how much raw material it takes to make one liter right. okay now go ahead sorry which it it makes me wonder with the commercialization mm -hmm. if like now you're just seeing these fields you know of people growing um out there whereas before it was almost like a natural thing where you know the families had their own grapes um you know and now you see commercial companies coming in planting acres and acres and acres yeah i mean honestly yes i mean the big companies obviously have more ability to plant millions of plants at a time because financially they have the, the money but it is the right approach right now because the, the category is not slowing down and not, this is not just mezcal exclusive this is tequila still tequila yeah. is pieces so now it's interesting the market is being registered or recognized as agave right so tequila and mezcal are one and tequila is is ginormous in comparison to mezcal, but the pressure and the continuous growth of the agave category is making Mexico change its crop cycles to much more right. agave. Um, it's healthy, it's good, it's less water. And there's space. Yeah, there's space, absolutely. There's space, we, we right now have um, uh, about 
what is it, 120 hectares, which is about 360 acres planted ourselves. We're working towards getting to the number of 1,000 hectares or 3,000 acres soon um, because it's important for the future of it, right? Like that's just the reality. Yeah. Like if we don't get ahead of it, then we'll get behind. And that's where a lot of brands get caught doing silly things to try to keep up with demand. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot of pressure on everyone in the industry to to invite people with land to plant. Like if they're not using their land, like hey, this is a great uh, investment. I have people in Sonoma who've asked me if I could find them land to rent and make it their you know make an investment for them there because they mm. they see the they recognize the trends they recognize the for for a farmer of a guy with the profitability of it right it makes it makes good money. And compared to like annual crops like corn or, or, or um, wheat or something that's very low, very uh, poorly paid. So you have to wait longer, you know, like uh, this agave that I just poured you, Manto Sawayo, this one between seven to 10 years, you know, so you have to wait seven years to, to get your return. So you and the way, how much of that is growing and how much of that is production and aging? That's all the growing, right? Yeah, it's all we, growing, you know, so. Sort of talk for a second about the, the cycle of the agave because yeah. it's you plant it mm -hmm. you wait seven to ten to twenty longer yeah. Yeah. and then you pull it all out mm -hmm. harvest it mm -hmm. break it down cook it and then you start over it right yeah. it's not like it's not like you you know it's not like grapes where you know you plant Cutting it, it you wait a couple of years and you harvest and then you keep going back for a hundred years this is each plant is pulled exactly. and then you start, start over. All over and uh, do you start with like you know, you know, when you're propagating your your succulents and your cactus and your aloe and you take a cutting and you put it in water and then you plant it in the ground. Is that kind of the So there's there's a nursery method to like right. germination to try to get, you know, from seed, which is a very important way of doing it for diversity of DNA and stuff like that. Right. Um, there is that way. So there's a lot of people, including ourselves, really working towards like having a nursery to go from basically seed to plant. Um, basically the cycle's two years there. So you start with the seed you let it grow up two years, and then from there you take it mm -hmm. into soil, um, and, and let it let it flourish for the rest of, of its life of its cycle. But the other one is that a lot of agaves. This one does. Uh, this one does as well, and then uh, this one does. They would give off what's called rhizomes or hijuelos, which are kids, and those come the stem off the come same off root. The, off yeah. The so basically, the, the the roots in the in the ground, the ball in the root of it, and then from those roots grow new plants that are still stuck to this plant the mother right. and uh and then from there you would take those pups and you would replant those as well now the fear and only focusing on that type of replantation is that you would would have a, a monoclone or, or you know the, this the, a singular dna and if um, um, some sort of plague came through it's going right. to wipe out the whole area right. whereas diversity of dna and coming from seed usually you get uh ultimately ultimately better mascot better better distillate from the from the diversity of, of, of that, that plant, but also maybe a little more resistance to different, different things. We got a question about the yeah. DNA. How many different varietals are there out there? There's a lot. I mean, so, so there's, there, there's, there's two ways to look at it. There's a, there's, a, there, there's a scientific term. So every agave, not every agave, most agaves have basically um, uh, a botanist claim, uh, a, a botanist claim or scientific name to them. Um, like there's a, a agave called Karwinski, a Karwinski, Karwinski I, Karwinski. And so that would be the botanist that 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 that, that I guess you would say um, claim that agave, but through the Karwinski said there's a lot of different varietals, and so there's Madre Quiche. Are there clones? 
Oh well, yeah, yeah. So, well, then that was the whole idea of that rise. Right. That those were right. all clones of the same right. guy. Um, so the question, like, if you ask the the, the Comercam, the Comercam is the agency that 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 um, manages or controls the category of mezcal, the certifying body. They tell you there's 35 different agaves that you can make mezcal from. 35. That would then translate into local names, and local names then have changes because of subtleties. Like when I went to San Luis Potosí, the area I told you, they had one type of agave, it's called, it's called Sarmiana. But each one, they define differently because of subtleties. One is a little more blue, the other one's a little more green. One has the, the, the leaves kind of curving a certain way, so we'll call it a different name. And to them, they're different. Like you say, oh, those are the same ones. They're like, no, it's not. That one's different and that one's different. And it's all visuals. So like a lot of times- It's like grapes. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm probably gonna learn a lot from uh, about you, from you guys about that because I'm not very, I don't know a lot. I mean, I know that I love wine and I grew up in wine country, but oddly enough, I don't know a lot about the different types of grapes a lot. I know- uh, right? neither, so, neither do we, it's <laughs> obvious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so, so there's a lot of them. You know, we work with eight different agaves right now, eight different varietals. Now, within those varietals are sub, like I said, subspecies that, that so there's, there's subtle, subtle differences with, which within the same varietal and it will make a difference ultimately to what, what right. it might taste like. So, so uh, let's talk about what we have in our, yeah, our, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which our, one is this, this and is, what makes it This unique. is Manso Sawayo. Manso Sawayo is an agave that is regionally from Northwest Michoacan, really close to the border of Jalisco. Um, Manso means tame and Sawayo's actual region where it grows. And so this is one of the few agaves that actually calls out its region. So it kind of be like a grape called Chardonnay Sonoma. Like, so you know that it's only grown here in Sonoma, right? Um, and so it's unique. There's not a lot of people that, that produce this agave for the state. So like to take a step back, most mezcal that comes to market right now in the US, about 85% of it's all from one region, which is Oaxaca. It's a dominant player. It's the Napa Valley of, of, of Mexico. Yeah, I know and it. Then, then there's four, there's eight other states where you can actually make mezcal. We are one of the other eight. So nine total, Oaxaca is a dominant player, and we are one of the other eight, which is Michoacan. So not a lot of people work in our state and come to market, um, that come to market. There's a lot of mezcal there, but there's not a lot of people that come to market from their U.S. market. So we're one of the few people that actually has this type of agave expression in the U.S. So it's, it's unique in a lot of, for a lot of reasons. Do you have, are you having a drought down there too? raining right now uh, okay but it is it, it is less wet than it had been historically yes um that's been you can see it in the lakes you can see like the, their filling points are much lower so there's concern over there and well, you know well, do, that, you, do you water no that, that that was about to say like okay. for us in terms of this industry like that's why california you had mentioned you know the the, the concept of sacramento growing uh, that was right. in the there's in our news today uh i guess it was Blake Gray had an article about California agave. planting agave in the Central Valley. They started a legislation to call it California Agave Society. California Agave, I think that's CAS. There's a gentleman here, a really good friend of mine, Adam Goldberg, and he bought a property up on, um, going towards Glen Allen right before, um, it's a really prominent vineyard up there. He, he told me about it the other day. Ordaz, I know you used to run that vineyard. Uh, Montesillo, maybe Montesillo? Oh yeah, up on, up up okay. like uh, Nuns Canyon and Nelligan yes, Road. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he 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 bought. I forget how many acres up there. He's already planted about forty acres of agave of thirty five different. Species. Wow. Holy there you go. So, but let's talk forty acres. So first of all, he's ten years or so from a harvest. Away. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many? What's the what is the yield like? How many tons? 
yeah. per acre or how many acres do you need to get a ton, right? I can back into the math because, so first of all, he's playing a lot of different varietals. Right. So like he's going to have a complete different um, ultimate possibility with each one. Some of them are going to take 10 years to mature, some 15. Right. Um, the one that, that, the same one that, that makes tequila, Blue Weber, he planted a lot of that. So that'll probably be what comes first. And I forget how much he's planted of it, but like I mentioned, you know, you're talking minimum 10 kilos or 20 pounds to make one liter, right? right. So just depending on the weight that he ends up getting from each piña, usually those are about like 35 kilos. So 35 kilos is like 70 pounds. Okay. Um, and we, what, what do we say? 20 pounds to make one liter. So. Not, not, not a whole lot. Right. And how many how many plants per acre do you can you, you usually plant? Um, so I do hectares. So uh, hectares about, so. about, about uh, 1,100 plants per acre. You can okay. do a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on how you want to go about it. But but then to the point of Yolo County, Yolo County, the, the gentleman named Craig Reynolds, he's a, fr a friend of mine as well. He's the one that I, I knew first. He's the one kind of leading the, 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 the conversation and the initiative in California around agave growth. He started that a while ago. I've actually gone to Yolo County and I've done a couple pits for him uh, to, because he's sold agave to some local distillers, Santa Cruz distiller, one in uh, Napa, and they took that cooked agave and then made uh, agave distillate, agave spirit, because the category it would be agave spirit. What they're right. trying to do is- You can't call it Mezcal, correct. it's called yeah. California. And, 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 yeah, Mezcalifornia, any, no? Okay. Well, so that's, a lot of people are claiming that that's a movement, right? Like Mezcalifornia is a thing. Now. You know, historically speaking, California was part of Mexico, right? There's, right. there's there's things where like you could say, if we close our eyes and didn't look at borders, this is mezcal, right? But then now with, with a lot of the, the, the detail that I mentioned earlier, it's only certain regions of Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's things that, that limit the limit the ability to be able to call it that. But by virtue of concept, it's a mezcal. You know, it's it's agave that's grown in the earth that then goes get, gets cooked to become spirit. Um, and he has literally an earth pit there. Like I said, like I went there and we, I did the pit for him because he had a, uh, he had had a few other people try and it, it, it didn't cook well. So he said, can you come do it? Did it, successful cooks, and then they made the spirit from it. I forget what, uh, the first one I did was for a spirit for one of the companies in Santa Cruz. Um, but yeah, it's starting. I don't think it's gonna slow down. I think the, the cause of the drought or the, the situation of this drought is pushing people to think differently about what you're gonna crop, totally. not what you're gonna plant. And this crop happens to require way less water. We mm. in Mexico don't water. So Adam's watering here, but he's doing it also almost out of necessity because the dirt is different. He's trying to make sure they stick and actually grow. So he's giving mm. it a, a better chance to live through watering. But like in, in Michoacan, we plant, we planted about a month ago, month and a half, right before rainy season. The rain that it'll get during rainy season is enough water for it to just 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 to be you know ready and then and then during the dry season it grows agave is a really curious you know succulent it's a great plant that's very resistant and resilient and, mm -hmm. and so it's kind of cool because sometimes through more struggles the wild agave you were mentioning earlier like wild agave that's what you were referencing in terms of them being naturally born like those agaves sometimes give off some of the best product because they had so much more to endure like right. more competition more grass around it more shade more rocks, right? There's a lot more struggle that they went through. That ultimately, as consumers, we're probably the beneficiaries of it as long as someone processes it properly, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. what is the root length like? Like, how deep do they go down? Not that deep. No, not that deep. No, at all. Yeah, the yeah, it's not deep at all. So, yeah. off the pina, like, how much is below? Going very little. Into the, the, okay. I would say eighty percent of the pina is above ground. Yeah, very, yeah, very little of it is down low. Oh. Yeah, that's so when you see someone actually shaving it down and then they literally stick the, the koa to the bottom and then lift it up 
it's very little that's remaining down there. Yeah. So it's just the root really that they're leaving. I'm looking at some pictures and do you use the leaves at all? You said do you use those as a to make sure it doesn't get burned yeah, in between uh, the yeah. stones and the penis. Right? Yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah, there's. Um, so historically speaking, people didn't do a lot with the, the with the pencas. The pencas are the leaves. We are trying to work towards some diverse methods of usage of them, just because they're just waste product, and I think that there's some use that we could do from a biodynamic standpoint. We're always looking like as a brand. I feel very fortunate from our perspective. Our brand is built in a very unique way. I obviously grew up here but I'm a dual citizen, um, you know, more credentials now in Mexico than I have up here to some degree, right? Like my, my driver's license, all my credentials down there. And, but I, I, got a, I, I got a chance to be a part of this industry and witness, you know, people's advances and maybe their focus is more than anything. Like what, 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 what are important things to focus on as you're growing your brand? All the biodynamic components, the water conservation, uh, the, the less impact on mother earth, all these things and so like we've always like we're not perfect but we're always working towards those things and so you're at your question about the leaves it falls right in line with that it's like hey well these are just get left behind like what can we do with them to repurpose them to find another use for them so they're not just waste product one of the things that we found in cotija is we shave off the the, the thorns on the side we put them in the oven to protect the agave they actually do have some nice sugar in there not not sugar that we would want to use for alcohol not too much methanol but we ch chop it up and we give it to my uncle's cattle. And the cattle love go. it because it's no. sweet, yeah. it's, it's sugar. So they love it, they eat it up, and you know, it's, it, my uncle loves it. It's like corn. feeding them sugar beets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then is that the cows that make the cheese or is those cows? Yeah, they're making milking cows, yeah, milking cows, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Closed loop. Yeah, so, so, yeah, the, we're trying to close the loop. That's yeah, what we're looking at, yeah. Uh, so talk to us about what's the, I'm not gonna try and say it because I won't Manza say it as well. Manza so Sawayo. I did it right. Nice. Yeah, pretty good. That's good. <laughs> I need I'm, I need another sip and I'll <laughs> I'll pronounce it better. So talk to the the variety where it's I guess you talked about where it's from, but yeah. what are we tasting? Well, you be, look, okay, because yeah. you have nine bottles on the table. So is the main difference That's region and varietal, bottles. or is there any difference in the aging method at all? So no, we don't age at all. It's okay. a clear spirit. So we, 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 yeah, this is all Hoven or Blanco. Yeah. So Hoven in in the world of Mezcal, because the categories are just, it's silly how they did this, but because Hoven means something different tequila. So that's why I say it's silly. But Hoven in the world of Mezcal is literally the same or equivalent as a silver tequila, as a Blanco tequila, the same unaged, right. unaged. And so this never sees a barrel, this never sees wood um, outside of what we distill and how we ferment. But it, after we distill, it never sees what, so it's clear. It's And I consider Mezcal to be the most dynamic, clear spirit in the world because it has so much going on, even without seeing a barrel. Um, so ultimately, the difference of what you see on the table is 100% gonna be the varietal because the one thing that we have not done is, I think this is evolution, like what you're touching on is kind of the evolution of what Mezcal will be ultimately, where we'll be able to say, hey, this specific Manso Sawayo was grown at a thousand yards higher elevation than the last one. We're not there yet. We're right now just defining ourselves by varietals as a whole, because that's already enough. Like I was, when I put these in the, on the table, I just did a staff training in Napa the other day, and I said, look, you guys know wine, clearly, there's a lot of wine there. I said, if this was all red wine, this would be Pinot, this would be Merlot, this, and not because it tastes like lighter, no, it's just literally, what would be the difference? The grape, right? That's what the difference is. And that's true of what's on the table. Now, what we do as a brand is we do a lot of ensembles, which are blends. The biggest difference is that we don't cold blend. We start at a hot blend, so we start them at the oven level. 
So like this one has two agaves, but both agaves went together in the oven. Then they co-fermented. It's the, the field blend. It's the yeah. co-fermentation. Co yeah, yeah. co-fermentation yeah. is where I think the magic happens. I Absolutely. That. Um, and, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of arguments in the world of, of spirits, especially I feel like I got it, maybe because I'm not involved in scotch or anything, but it's always this question, like, what's more important for the ultimate, the, the taste? Is it going to be distillation or fermentation? In my head, I'm like, it's got to be fermentation because the wine category wouldn't be relevant if it weren't fermentation because you know what i mean like how much do we get from fermentation to speak to us like in this state whereas if you distill it then you obviously you are getting different levels of flavor of different things that you're pulling out from the from the wine if you were to, to make a spirit from it but it's not like fermentation's where it's at so yeah. like uh, you know 80 percent of what's in uh, you guys are tasting is 100 percent from the fermentation the co-fermentation that happens when you do two hours i think is magic I think it's, it's it makes it completely different because this one that we'll try is actually a blend of these two agaves, and I know that if I cold blended them, it would taste nothing like this. Like it would taste. Right. Way so can we try that one next? And then, and then, and then yeah, yeah, try yeah, what they're, they're like together. That's a good process, yeah, good process. Now let me check what this one. You want to oh, yeah. check it out? <laughs> Some question mark. Uh, uh, that was a lot. And can we talk a second about how we should be tasting this? Oh, yeah. As opposed to, I mean, you know, we taste wine. I spit. And we don't have we know Chris, salt or we know We know Chris table, Cottrell right? complains about right? tasting wine on a podcast. Um, <laughs> tasting mezcal is definitely a more intense experience mm -hmm. than, you know, having a sip of, uh, you know, Roussan in your mouth and... You know, sloshing it around and, and, and spitting, spitting it in the cup. Yeah. It's, it's, Although I would say that's how you should taste. No, no. I mean, I, I, I am. I'm at least yeah. trying. Yeah. Well, that's a big. <laughs> we got we got we got only seven more bottles to go. Yeah, so so we'll be all right. Made for a good lunch session. Um, it a hundred percent how you drink wine. I feel like is the right approach for mezcal. It's a sipping thing. They always say there's a term in Spanish. They say uh, mezcal de las besos, which means you give it kisses. So it's like little kisses at a time versus a shot, right? Because yeah. in the world of tequila, we've been told you take a shot, take it back, right? Take a shot take, because take it back. get those chemicals down fast before exactly. you taste them. Well, <laughs> hey, it's like, you know, you're ultimately getting this situation where, you know, you, you, you chase it. You know, you're, you're looking for your closest chaser or you have the lime and salt, to, to, uh, the salt back, right, right. the lime back. And the one thing with mezcal is like, I grew up seeing my grandma, my grandpa, my aunts, and my uncle sipping mezcal. It was the best pairing, that, and the reason I did this project originally was my memory of when I would go back to Michoacan and my, my, my family was sipping mezcal and eating cotilla cheese. By oh, sip, that by does sip. sound really good. I should have brought some, because I have some in my house. But um, it, it, you know, it is the best pairing and what ultimately led to this project. Um, so it, it, I always welcome people just to, you know, give it a, this vessel is a, it's called a veladora. And if you look at the bottom, there's a cross. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's supposed to be kind of like a, 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 a church, uh, a candle votive. And the whole idea is that you're supposed to drink until you see the cross. So obviously you can finish this. And so. Drink until you see the cross or you see Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever happens first. <laughs> Hopefully the first uh, Well, the, the thing about it is that this size is perfect to like not stick yours all the way in. It doesn't, it's, it's a little wider open. It's like I've done it with flute glasses, like champagne glasses. I think it's too narrow. It's too kind of focused. Like, it's you, yeah. 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 And and so this is kind of perfect. You take like the mouth open, take a little whiff, trying to get some of the aroma. And then from there, you know, take a little sip and then, you know, you know, get put it around, get, put it, you know, through your mouth and then 
take the take the sip through, and then you should just like wine, you get an entry, get a mid palate, and then a finish. Right. Not always. Like I'm like I, you know, like I said, there's some mezcal out there you want to shoot and not think about the fact that you took it. But um, the, 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 the our brand, I always wanted to create like uh, an experience for the consumer to be like, oh, I get this, that, or the other. We do a lot of tastings, even in town, and they're always novice people, people that never drink mezcal. And it's always really fun because we'll do usually seven expressions. And by the seventh, they're like, um, hey, why is that one so much smoother than the first one? I said, let's revisit the first one. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wow, it changed. I'm like, no, 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 your palate opened up. You, yeah, yeah, you, you, changed, you up. changed. Yeah, that's the thing about mezcal. It's like, it's, it is an acquired taste to some degree, but it's also an experience thing. And I always tell people, I sound like an alcoholic when I say that, but I practice a lot, right? So yeah. it's, um, it's something that allows for you to enjoy. Like now, when it comes to whiskeys, like, I, if I'm not drinking mezcal, I either like a nice bold red or a whiskey. But if it's a whiskey, I want like a really high proof whiskey, like a, a cast strength whiskey or whatever, you know, something something bold. Because um, anything like at 40% out to me tastes a little bit too too watered down. Right. And I don't feel like I'm pulling, I'm not able to to uh, differentiate flavors from that 40%. Nuances, yeah. yeah and this, so what is, what are the this percentage? Is all, this is all 48% alcohol. Okay. So 97 proof. Because yeah. um, my math doesn't suck. It's, it's 48 and a half. That's how it's 97. Because okay. there are people working on what? Wait a second. How do you do that math? 48.51. 48.51, 97.02 in proof. Um, and the one thing about that, and you guys probably appreciate this, but like mezcal historically at that proof makes what's called perlas. You see little pearls. Yeah. You see how they're stained. Try, try to do what I'm doing right now with a 40% tequila. It's going to go away like that. Right. The bubbles go away like that. So this is how... It's, uh, the, it's the legs of... Yeah, Mexico. and it's one of the. It, it is what like having this ABV does provide legs has more viscosity, right? Has more texture. But historically speaking, a mezcalero didn't have the technology, a hydrometer, etc., to know his ABV. So he would do it with feel, with his with his nose, with his with his eyes, right? By, by checking the bottle, like, okay, this is about forty eight percent. We're good. You know what I mean? And that's what it was because it had forty five. They go away faster. At forty, they go away like there's nothing right. there. And then above 55, it's kind of the same thing. So the sweet spot between 45 and 55. Interesting. So above, uh, they don't happen above 55. Yeah. But, but yeah, basically above 55, they go away fast, just like under 45, uh, faster. But there's differences in terms of the size of the bubble. Crazy. Yeah. Right. So, they're, yeah. They're, and this is one of the things, like when I tell people like we try to preserve tradition, and th this is true in the way we produce and also how we present ourselves in a bottle. Like this could easily be 40%. And it would obviously leave 20% more dollars in our pocket, but it would be a dilution of tradition of quality of all those things. So we leave it as it. And people aren't like, even like I would tell people like my friends, like that are also Mexican, like they have a hard time when they, I first started this, like, oh my God, this is so hard to drink. But now I have my buddy even yesterday, cause we made a special batch for Nugget. And I went to the Sonoma market and I was like, oh, they do it. Cause he's like, oh, I went, they don't have a bottle. And I was like, I sent it, he goes, buy it for me, I'll pay you. And I was like, I was like, you want a bottle of it? Like, cause I was like, it was $85. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm happy to buy it for him, pay me back. But in my head, I'm like proud that my friends have evolved to love the spirit also to like start enjoying it. So will you talk, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about your like, you know, grandparents sipping mezcal and, and eating cheese. But will you talk, you know, about it was part of your life growing up, but what sort of how did you like latch on to it and, and dig in the way that you have? Well, so, well, Sonoma was a very interesting town, right? And I was uh, involved um, in the community 
and I was always at the cafe on Arnold Drive, Picasso Cafe. I was behind. Yeah, we should. We'll do lots of shout outs of yeah. the the Chavez family of <laughs> restaurants, but Picasso Cafe. It's down the street. It's uh, from where Bart and I live, and it's uh, down the street from your house. Yeah, it's you know, best breakfast in town. And so there, thank you for that. Um, Including all the other places that I say are best breakfast in town who are listening. I love you guys too. <laughs> uh, Arnold, Arnold Drive and Grill. Yeah. And uh, I was behind the counter and I remember there was a lot of people that were kind of becoming an influence to me. And I, I basically at that point in my life, I was in the morning in the back cooking up the daily soup, making all the sauces, doing everything I was doing with my apron. And then at around 11 a.m., I would come out to the front and do the register, take care of people's orders. And someone one time, Looking at me and said, There's no way you're doing this for the rest of your life. What are you doing next? And in my head, I was like, I don't know. I had no idea. Like, in my head, I'm like, I don't know. And it was within that week, I read an article, and it was a really corny article. It, it was by Market Watch, and it said, Mezcal worms its way onto the U.S. shelves. And I read that article. What a, what a, what a headline. Yeah, exactly. That's like, <laughs> Where's the worm in these bottles? So. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, what the heck? So, so then I read the article and the whole focus was Oaxaca, Oaxaca, Oaxaca. And so in my head, I'm like, what? Like, Michoacan has mezcal. And I, like, I'm like, I want to. And then that's when like, the light turned on. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back. And so like, I, that's, that's when it happened. And that was like 2015-ish. And um, I went back. And so growing up, my because my dad still worked for the same estate that he we, he when we first moved. So we used to be in Pen Grove. So Pen Grove and uh, my dad was a dairy farmer and my mom uh, cleaned houses here in Sonoma. She still does. And um, one of the ladies that she uh, would clean her house for, it's what is now called the Quarry Hills, you know, like oh, right the botanical garden. Yeah. yeah. That, that lady used to, her name was Jane Jansen. My mom used to clean her houses on that property. Very wealthy lady from like Tennessee area, Chattanooga. And her nephew was buying a property on Sopra Vista, the top of Sopra by St. Andrew's Church, the very right. top of it. And she said, hey, my nephew's buying a property. It's a 40 acre estate and he needs a caretaker. You should get your husband to do the job. And my mom begged and pleaded and my dad finally gave in and that's how we made our move. I still remember driving here from Penguin Wells in second grade and through one of those U-Haul trucks or Penske trucks rentals. <laughs> and I remember, because it's a hill and it was almost coming down because it was a lot of weight. And uh, my, dad, my dad and mom still live there. I grew up there. And, um, but every winter around um, December, we would drive my dad's F-150 from Sonoma, California to Cotija, three day drive. Me and my sister Betsy would go in the back of the car in the trunk with a camper shell. And when I, we'd arrive to Cotija, I would see what I mentioned, my uncle sipping mezcal and eating cheese. And it was a part of the culture. So when we would drive back, we would always bring a wheel of Cotija cheese. When I was a kid, I hated Cotija cheese. I would be right, right here next to me for three days. Now I love it again, but like back pretty, then, pretty pungent, I bet. Yeah, very. Like, you know, what the heck? You know, and so, um, so that was the, that, that, those memories were what led me to think, I'm going to go back to Michoacan. I bought a plane ticket to Morelia, Michoacan. Originally, like I mentioned, I was buying mezcal. And then, you know, through, honestly, I just became so enamored with this category and everything I was doing. I was like, I want to produce. It's always been like in my, 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 my blood, I feel like, to get involved, like at that level. Like when we were at the cafe, started cooking, you know, creating. And in this scenario, I was like, I want to do this. And the guy that I was working with originally buying from, I had mentioned him the vision of like exploring more expressions, bringing more. We only had one, it was this one. And he was like, eh, it doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me. I don't really want to do that. I don't care to do it. And I said, okay, that's cool. So then we went about our business and we rented a facility first, learned how to produce there, and then built the facilities that we now produce on. And we have two facilities where we produce. And uh, yeah, that's been, that, that was kind of the trajectory to be who we are today. And now we're, you know, fortunate to say we're one of the more, the faster growing brands in the country. 
through all of, a lot of effort. I mean, I mean, it's been. I work on both sides of the border. I'm constantly this 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 thing right now as we speak is the longest time I've been in Sonoma in a really long time. It's been like it's going to be two weeks total. But I've been on a wow. plane, you know, traveling to different cities to promote the product, to talk to people like you know what I'm doing right now, explaining to them in very close detail. I feel very lucky. You know, I feel very lucky. I get a chance to explain very close detail because I do it. You know, I've done it with the team and. And so creating the recipe for it with, with Adrian and, and now our whole team, it's like we know exactly what we're doing. We're not, we're not telling someone else's story, we're telling ours. And that's become, I think, a very important differentiation of our brand to others because most brands, they have to source. They don't have a way to work on that side of the border. Um, right. So most, a lot of brands, especially now that some brands have been acquired by big companies, you know, they're working with intermediaries. You know, I have friends who work for big brands as literally just procurers of batches. And they take the batches and they homogenize them. Batches of just of different mezcal, like right. five thousand liters from you, five from you, five from you. They bring fifteen thousand together, homogenize it, put it in a bottle, bring it to market. And and that to me was obvious. It's still a possibility, but it never really. It didn't really do a form. Like that does. That seems like a very bland existence. I didn't really like it, and I wanted to push push, push the envelope. I guess you could say. And and it's been so rewarding. I mean, I'll. Like this, even doing this with you guys, like we, we've never done this and it's this year and it's with a bottle full of booze right. that we get a chance to talk about Mexican spirits and, you know, a product that's made by a Sonoma tie, you know? Right. Yeah, so it's cool. It's very rewarding. That's no, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I, you know, I probably shouldn't say this in air, but uh, when everything got locked down, I went and bought everybody on my team a bottle of, I think the black label. Yeah. And um, drove around with that bottle in my car during all of like the worst of the COVID lockdowns. And you know, you get somewhere and you're dealing with people and you're, everybody's afraid of everybody's germs and you figure, you know, you little hand sanitizer and a little mouth sanitizer and everything uh, felt a little bit better. So I have a little trauma bond to the, to the black label for sure. Don't tell the CHP. Okay. So this is the, what I'm, now the one I'm gonna pour you is the blend, the, of, the blend of the two. Yeah. Because that last one we tried to me, totally different than the first totally one. First different. Of all. It was a little more like higher toned and have like some like orange or citrus yeah, or yeah. something to it. Uh, yeah, yes. totally. Yeah. So that's that's a beauty. Like the adjectives and the, the, the description we'll give Mescal right now is like what we would talk about wine, which is what I love about it, right? Like it's like, it, it, it's, um, there you go. Well, right um, off the bat, the aroma is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot to it. You know, that's one thing about spirits. This is true about all spirits. It's not, you know, just... You can make a really bad 40% spirit. You can make a really good 55% spirit. It doesn't matter which one it is, vodka to to gin to whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, like I, I think that I, I always believe that the word to use is intention. You know, what, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of that person's brand or their, their, their focus? And ours is to be that like I'm that that's to me is important for you to have that opinion of it. You know, so okay. Okay. Ar Ar aromatics but are but it's phenomenal. Though because like vodka is pretty neutral gin it's because of the um it's because of the botanicals Correct. scotch it would be because of the peat how they're yeah. um, but with this it's like it's the only it's all be it's all from the base of the varietal and then the cooking process correct yeah the cooking right. yeah and then the fermentation because that's the thing about the thing about fermentation for us because we do not pitch a certain yeast our batches vary like uh, you know obviously if you guys invite me back next year same exact day next year i'll bring the same exact bottle but new batches of them you might not find orange in this one anymore. You might right. say, oh, this is minty now. Right. And, or it's a little bit more like pine notes. And that's the beauty of it. It's like, well, maybe because I got it from a different region, the yeah. same type of varietal, different region, different type of the year. Like I always tell people, man, I know anyone who works with wine would understand this. It's like, since we do not temperature control our area, it's open air. We do not pitch a certain yeast. 
like we are 100 percent reliable on mother earth and the, to, to ferment meaning when it's hot as heck like this we would ferment like that just going bubbling going and if it's cold and and, and, and it's rainy which it is right now in michoacan our fermentations lag. They're, they're la they're, the, our yields are worse. Our, our fermentation lags, but the outcome of flavor is different. Period. So that's the beauty of it. It's kind of like well. So I did a batch. We did a batch like what was it like a, a year ago, and it got purchased by a retailer in LA. It was it was a tequilana, but we distilled it with pomegranate, and we did it in a tree trunk still. And um, wait. And you're gonna have to send us some of these pictures. We'll we'll put them on uh, yeah. social media. Tree trunk. This is a tree trunk still. Uh, still. I want to know how. Uh, this is a hollow tree trunk still. Okay. Shit. And so it's still it's got the it's it's, it's got, got the a, copper on it's top. It's got a yeah, pan, copper, right? Copper cones, just like our other still. So I never showed you guys our actual wood still. What I was telling you about. These are our still that we used to distill. These guys, right? They're about yay, they're about yay tall from the ground. Right. Copper cones. But they're constructed. What's that? They're constructed. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, barely, but yes, yeah, they're 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 handmade um, by the wood part by carpenters, the top part by. There's a small town in Michoacan called Santa Clara del Cobre, and their artisan uh, craft there is copper. So they make copper jewelry, copper spoons, copper bowls, and they hand hammer all of our copper. So, okay. but it looks it looks nothing like if you've ever been to Hanson's Vodka down Right, there. it's not no, like no, it the big shiny chrome like big, modern uh, still. Right. Yeah. No, no, not at all. We yeah. So basically. There's a copper bowl inside. There's a hollow wood. There's a hollow, they're basically like hollow wood staves to put together, copper cone, and this is internal condensation. So to the point of what you guys are, are saying about, about Hanson's, they use uh, what's called a reflux still, uh, um, a coffee still, and it's a copper bowl, but then a really long neck, right? right. And, yeah. and so there's various levels there, but the condensation happens through like an external copper coil and the, the liquid comes out cold. Everything we collect comes out of this, this copper spout and it comes out hot because it, it, it condenses inside, but it's still hot liquid. Oh, it okay. All, I, the, all the so, is inside. So you're putting, so for, for those of you listening, not seeing the pictures, you have essentially it's a wood stump or a stave looks like yeah, a wood stump. Yeah. The mash goes in a, bowl. in a bowl at the yep, bottom. Yep. You're heating it with wood, live wood, fire. Live wood fire, and then it goes up. I mean, you can make a, you can make grappa, like stovetop grappa. It's kind yeah, of the yeah, same yeah, yeah. same concept. Yes, yes, yes. And then it, so it hits the, the cone, the cone on we top. Hit the, we hit the outside of the cone with cold water on the outside. On, on the, the top. top. Right. And that, that, so it's a cold cone right. with the hot, the hot vapors coming up. It clashes, con condenses. Those beads go to the tip of the cone. They fall into the spoon. We call it cuchara, okay. and that comes out that copper. And that's pipe. where that comes yeah. to. And in theory, when people look at that, they look at, oh well, you could do X, Y, Z to bet, make it better or modify. It's like, yeah, but then the same thing. We're not trying to modify. Five hundred years of doing yeah. this. Shut up. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> the, the point of the, now, it would benefit from yield if we add an external coil because it's still coming out hot. So it could obviously benefit from a little more condensing. Um, but like you know, the flavor would be different. The, the story would be different. And so this is how we distill today. This, but this is like I always tell people: let's take a time capsule back to the 1700s, 1800s. It'd be the same exact method. Okay, and so three three hundred years, yeah, yeah. three hundred years of tradition. Yeah. So with that That's method, okay. how do you decide the heads and tails? The head, the head and the tail. Yeah, no technology. It's all right. it's all based on experience at this point. So we know. So basically, you were right. The mash, which is a murky brown liquid, goes into the bowl, distills once. That comes out about 15 to 20 percent alcohol, and then we redistill clear liquid uh, to get to the higher ABV. So double distillation. On the second pass, where we're making all our cuts, and we we pretty much know 
liter and a half of the heads, maybe two, depending on where it breaks alcohol-wise. And then from there, we collect body. And then we get to the point where we call colas dulces, which are bitter, uh, sweet tails. And we collect that separately. And we use those, that to, basically we use the heads and the sweet tails to make our final batch. And then we have the bitter tails, which comes after the sweet tails. And we just discard that. It just, it, it's, it's, a, it's not- Hand, tan hand sanitizer. Yeah, yeah, it's something to clean with, you know, but it's not something we actually use for, for making the product ultimate profile. But we, yeah, so the, the mezcal typically is, the body adjusted with heads and for us sweet tails, and um, and then the both both of those heads and the sweet tails are going to give you different things: a little sweetness, a little more viscosity, a little more texture. A lot of the best flavors in mezcal are when it first breaks in the heads. Huh. Delicious. Seventy percent mezcal, like that's that, that we can't bottle legally to bring up. Right. Some of the best flavors you'll ever have in your life. Wow. People, I brought a bottle like this, similar to this, to events that I come back from Mexico, come hot off a plane, go to the event. People have paid me dumb money to, for the heads. <laughs> They're like, we'll buy that. I'm like, dude, it's a half empty bottle. Like, we don't care. That was delicious. I'm like, we'll give you this much money for it. Yeah, do take it. Like, go, yeah, take Interesting. it. Interesting. So that's where there's like crazy flavors. It's crazy flavors. It's delicious. It's, it's, it's everything you would fear in alcohol in terms of like you're saying, oh my God, it's so high in alcohol, but it's so tasty. Yes. If you're not used to, even you guys after today, you'll be more prepared for that than yesterday, right? Because right. you're doing a lot of this, opening up your palate. You do it all the time with spirits, it sounds like, right? No, not mostly wine. Mostly wine. Yep. And so, you know, it, it's um, it's one of those experiences where then you go down there, which you're welcome to come with us whenever you'd like. And uh, and you- Road trip. Yeah. I, I want to bring, I want to bring back out. some of that yeah. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. right. laughs> Proof that I'm Sonoman. Yeah, the, the mezcal is great. Talk to me about the cheese right now. And the combination of these two together is fucking amazing. Right, you like them? Yeah. yeah. And it's different, very yeah. different. Yeah. This one to me is a little more like, uh, almost like savory, I'd call it, in, in terms of, uh, of its qualities. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is a continue, us continuing in different bottles is just continuing with the same conversation. Different flavors, different aromas. Um, so how many right now, how many different bottlings do you offer? We've done over 30 different color labels, different okay. expressions. Wow. A lot of them have come in the, the, the pursuit of what's called destilado con or pechuga. Have you heard of pechugas? No. A pechuga is a traditional mezcal that on the second pass, sometimes people do it on the third pass, um, you hang a meat inside of the still. And so Whoa. pechuga means breast. <laughs> okay. Breast. And so, so what would happen you're getting married, I'm gonna make you special pachuga for your wedding. And that's gonna be a batch just for your, you get first communion, make you special batch, right? Baptism, right? So, so celebratory uh, moments, uh, Mescalero would usually make a special batch for whatever, his nephew, a graduation. And hanging, like. You hang, typically, pachuga literally means breast, so it would be like a turkey breast, a chicken right. breast, a, a, a duck breast, or something with a breast. But then there's another category called destilado con, which just means distilled with. And that's where you could, we've done a batch recently for a, a, a customer in Chicago um, and they wanted to do uh, beef. So it was just like a cut, cut of beef, clove, orange peel, uh, palo santo, and I think that was it, four items. And so sounds, we, we hung them. Sounds good. We, Fascinating. We hang, we hang the meat in a cheesecloth inside the still. And raw meat, cooked, not raw. Raw. Because with all the heat, it's going to cook. Right. And then inside of the meat. Can you eat it later? 
I would. Okay. Okay. Like, right. like, 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 executed pizza. Okay. What the heck? Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so Feed it to the, 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 the meat, we put the cloves in, but then in the liquid, we would put the actual ingredients like the, the palo santo and the orange peel. Um, and so we've done this a lot. And so that's why we're, we've got so many expressions now because we have some okay. one-offs that right. we get for a customer that we do. Like we can make you a special batch for you. Like, and basically what it looks like is it's our brand, but right here it says exclusively made for I can show you a few pictures of it. It's actually pretty don't, fascinating. Don't tempt me to. Uh, <laughs> what do you have to buy? How much do you have to buy from that? It's 100 liters. 100 that's liters. That's the, the nugget one. The nugget one we did that they have, yeah. it says nugget on it. I'll show you a picture. Um, I feel like I saw that in the store. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and they they wanted, well, actually they asked me, what, what would you distill it with? And I said, oh, I'll distill with uh, watermelon and um, chile seco, which is uh, dried chiles. And so this is what it looks like. It was mint, yeah. watermelon, and so that's usually where the nugget goes. The the co-branding goes. We do one for, Congrats you know, for the hotel. Like, yeah, we could. We've done them for hotels. We did one for, uh, uh, you know, Solage in um, Calistoga. The, we did one for them for their pico bar, mezcal bar. We did one for them. That one was distilled with pineapple, um, achote, guajillo, uh, cilantro, a few other things like that. So. Yeah, it, so that's how we've been able. To, I mean, honestly, it's um, it's a very traditional practice of doing it this way, but it's also been a great way to collaborate with folks and get the like that's, my name. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, because they're like, hey, try this one. This is our batch, and right. so it's been really yeah. fun. And, and we collaborate. Like I would tell people, it's a collaborative process. I wouldn't, I if, unless you tell me, tell me what you're going to distill with. I'll say, hey, well, what would you know? What, what what's a part of your history? Your, right. If it's a chef, what, what what is your culinary drive? You know, like you guys use a lot of a certain ingredient i'm happy to work with it you know if it's accessible to us you know but like yeah. we i try to work with with people to to create something that they're proud of too and they can feel like they had a hand in making it because ultimately the spirit itself i don't care what we distill with the base of it's so already aromatic right. and, and, and and expressive this becomes a subtlety so the one that i did with pomegranate and the tree trunk one we listed as temporadas de lluvia i listed it on the bottom and that what that means rainy season batch. And the reason I did that was because I wanted people to understand that that fermentation, because it was rainy season, was different than a hot season. Right. And that didn't become some people's favorite batch we've ever done. Um, one of the other ones that we did that was pretty wild and really well received that people still hit me up about is, um, it was a Chino Bruto Ensemble, so two different agaves. It was this one and this one, which we'll try next. And um, we distilled it with wild boar meat, uh, avocado seed, avocado leaf, Epasote and tejocote. Epasote is a spice, and then the tejocote is a fruit. So right. it's three savory spices, one fruit, and then the wild boar meat. So what is the, uh, what do you get from the meat? Like, are you getting like yeah. gamey flavors? Yeah, gaminess, 100%. Okay. Gaminess, maybe some more. That's why that wild fats. boar is so perfect. Yeah, the wild boar was really gamey. Yeah. But it balanced out with the tejocote, right. the, the, the fruit, with right? The fruit it kind and, of and the acidity out. and the brightness. Exactly. So it's, yeah, so right. it, it just becomes a fun conversation. Uh, Unique expression. Like, oh, Ta is it taco time? I can't I keep talking about food. I know. Um, so this next one, bruto. This is the one that actually my family was most accustomed is most accustomed to because this is that guy that's most prominent in our region of Coquihuacan. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. So, can we talk legal? Rem of, like legally, like how did you get set up being able to go down there, make it all down there, and then bring it back? Like, was there, was that hard? Yeah, well, yeah, an importer, it, it, right? It, it, yeah, somewhere it's an importer. The the thing the thing about it was I don't think 
So I think what's most difficult is the navigation in Mexico versus the import side of it. Because the import side of it, we technically figured out first because, well, like I told you, when we first started, it was a source prayer, a source project. So the importer would import the product and go to market with it. But the bigger thing was, I think, people's unwillingness to go down there and navigate down there. And they're still, you know, like it's it's a dangerous market sometimes. Like I've, I've had some less than pleasant experiences in certain areas. Um, Sounds like it could be a fucking TV show. <laughs> but that's honestly, next. That's next to reality, <laughs> reality TV stars. But but I think that that's been the fun part for me is like I get a chance to tie back into mother, you know, our, our, our motherland, if you will, way into the home state. Um, so yeah, it, it was just, it, it was that circumventing like the mental barriers more than anything. But it's been a challenge, honestly. I, I a lot of respect to my family, my wife, the support that, they, that, that they've, they've given me to continue to pursue this because it's not easy. I mean, I'm gone a lot, you know, and, and uh, the, the burden of the restaurants and all that stuff falls on her shoulders fully. But, um, you know, we've been able to work, make it work. I mean, I still, you know, find myself in whenever she needs in the kitchen doing what I got to do in the front of the house, whatever, you know, it's always been like a whatever needs to get done basis. And luckily it all to some degree through all the stress is fun. And I like, I love yeah. people. And so my dad knew my dad, you know, is, is as Dana said, is, is one of the coolest guys in terms of who he is in the mornings and what do you become for people and stop by for coffee. Telling a joke. Well, yeah. Well, you say that quickly. I mean, we, as we talked about a little more off there. Uh, at Picasso Cafe, mm -hmm. your dad is there still, basically every day of the week, except Sundays. Except for Sundays, making all the pastries, all the pastries, yeah. and working the counter, mm -hmm. talking to people. I was there this morning at six with him. Takes takes your money, gives yeah. you your coffee. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you know, I should have actually. I could have used a cup of coffee at yeah. six this morning on my way to pick Vienna. Uh, it would have been easier than making it my own. I wouldn't have been late. Yeah, you were out um, trimming grapes this morning, we, right? We harvested. harvested our first grapes for 16th morning. Vienna wow. from Steel Plow. Uh, tasted great. Vines were going through the heat strong. The Grenache and the Syrah, they're all, you know, no leaves yellowing anything yet. Uh, and... Boy, my tomatoes up, look like crap with, after yesterday. With uh, all said and done, and I don't think this is going to be true in many other varieties, uh, we got the most Viognier we'd ever gotten this vintage out of there. So go go fucking Where figure. Where was it? This is uh, the vineyard that surrounds Landmark Winery, Steel Plow, uh, you know, up there in, in Kenwood, just across the street from uh, one of your competitors. From tips. Although tip, do they have do they have uh, La Luna in the bar there yet? Yeah. Oh, then it's not a competitor. No collaborator. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, honestly, that's one thing about it. It's like I feel like everybody's. Um, I, I I never like I've never in my life left a bad review for anybody because I know how hard it is. Yeah, like, totally. Like I don't see anyone's quote unquote competition. All indirectly, we all are. But it's like I I appreciate everyone's hard work and what they're doing. Yeah, like, totally. Up there, all through that corridor. You know, you just, uh, right. I go there to eat and I see people that come to our place and vice versa. So totally. it's fun. It's all, it's all good. But yeah, they, I, I'm pretty sure they use La Luna. And if they don't, I'm sure that we'll nice. get them. We'll get them soon. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. The, the one thing about the very big irony about what I do is that most people locally don't use their product because there's two reasons. One, mezcal is still hard to understand. So that all of you don't know how to use it. Like they're yeah. not understanding where they would put it. Like, you should put this on your back bar, make a flight with them. Um, you should take this one. We have a leader of this using your cocktail program. 
because some of them don't even have cocktails that have mezcal yet because they're like, oh, we're not getting asked for them. It'll happen. I mean, eventually, every every single bar and restaurant in the country will have at least one mezcal cocktail. That's gonna be that's gonna. It's already happening, but it's gonna happen for sure. And and if not on the menu, it'll probably say substitute tequila. Would substitute the tequila in this for mezcal, right? And, and upcharge it. So like it's um it it's gonna happen. But Sonoma has been the one that's not used us much like I, I know that Hamlet has us in a cocktail right now one uh, obviously Kina's does and then um, Maya had historically I'm not sure if they do but no one else in the plaza really has it. I know EDK at times I think they might have one maybe but like that's always been kind of a tough place to crack um, but not you know they just don't understand like you know they, yeah. they don't understand it when they get offered a misguide it's almost like I have like a, a void fill a void it's like oh just give me any misguide because I just need to have one right Whereas, you know, when it, if someone were to say, you need a whiskey, they'd be like, let me try it. What is this about? Why would I get this one over this one? But with Mezcal right now, it's kind of like, yeah, let's, let's check off that box. So I think it'll change though soon. We yeah. had a Mezcal cocktail, and I like using grapefruit yeah. with Mezcal. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, it was basically like a Paloma kind of um, situation. But we were getting a certain percentage of them sent back because it was on the specialty cocktails menu. And people are like, oh, Mezcal, it's people from wherever yeah. kansas wherever pick a state yeah um and then they'd send it back oh my god this is it's too smoky so then what i started doing is using um spray i was using a like a little spray bottle yeah. and i would spray it just on the top of the cocktail and so they you get it aromatically but you didn't get a ton of it um, yeah. on the palate yeah. just to kind of introduce people to it yeah um, but it, no, it, re- it sometimes requires a conversation agreed and and if the server doesn't have time to to have that conversation then people just order something that looks pretty they look at the picture and they're like oh miss call cool yeah. and then they order and go what the fuck yeah. is this and, and and you know the the way to remedy that now is what like um, a split base i think people do one ounce tequila one ounce mascara right so yeah you're right like that's the thing like the um i think some rants like maybe the one that you used was one of those ones that was very very smoky and that could obviously impact the 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 the, the mindset it all it all it's all over the board these days and yeah like when i go to certain parts of the country especially you know the midwest some they don't want to mess with it they're like no mezcal's not for us and you know okay you know maybe not yet i know it's gonna happen but it's, it's one of those things like okay not yet it's all good i'll tell you what it is and you'll opt not to have it but like i know that because i told you what it is whenever it comes time for you to need one you'll you'll maybe take a look at ours again so well i mean it's clear from the first i'm with four of them now yeah they're all completely different Mm -hmm. to say oh we don't need mezcal and like oh we don't need red wine yeah right there's a place for every one of these in a bar program in a cellar in your liquor cabinet the Uh, thing is there is people that are Really into mezcal. I have the bruto right now. Oh, I just did bruto for myself. Okay. Yeah, I'll do the next one in a second. People, there are people that are really into mezcal, and mm-hmm. I think you're right. The flight would be a super cool thing yeah. because then you can actually have a conversation about the differences. Yep. And, and the one thing about a flight, like, like for me, like a flight, appropriate flight for mezcal is like doing like a a quarter ounce of each one, like right. like lower price point. Don't feel bad that you bought into this because you know ounce and a half might be overkill and then they're like $50 into a flight they're like we didn't like this mm-hmm. um, and they're wasted yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the next one I poured you guys is tequila this is exact same agave that's used to make tequila but done in a fashion a traditional mezcal fashion so basically it's like a historical tequila how tequila tasted before it became industrialized 
freedom. It's it's. I mean, they've all been so different. The the Bruto. I mean, I know we were talking about the the uh, mezcal con, but it had these like total cilantro kind of flavors and notes. And I'm um, this one is. Uh, this one's a little more briny. Yeah, briny is exactly it's yeah. like it's briny. Also, the way the smokies come uh, coming across is more like more like a barbecue sauce. I think the the briny is probably part of that. The sort of salty and mm. and uh, and pungent. Totally different. Uh, and I was going to show you guys a picture of Bruto. This one's worth sh showing you. The guy standing next to this, I got a six two. Holy crap! So. Okay, so this was a question I was going to ask. Because you see these plants uh, ornamentally landscaping all over Sonoma. Mm -hmm. Call them century plants. Mm -hmm. They're essentially an agave, right? Yes, they're all agaves. Yeah. And, and at some point, they're going to shoot up this big stalk that kind of looks like a giant asparagus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they'll flower. Yes. And then they die and they fall over. Correct. So for the, the piña... Are you waiting for that flower cycle? No, do you try and do it before? It's dead at that point. It's dead at that point. So you do it before it flowers. Yeah, so basically all of this conversation, that you're, the whole process you just talked about, really revolves around sugar and energy. And essentially, the moment that the stock shoots up, it's basically the agave. So basically, agaves commit suicide. And when they become mature enough, old enough, that's when they're ready to harvest to make a mezcal, right? So right. that is right when that shoot is about to shoot, if you catch it before it shoots. Or if it shoots, you cut it off and let give it a year for all that energy to go, go back, back down. down. But once it flowers, that, that means all the sugar and energy reached the top. This part is dead. If I harvested to try and make mezcal, it's not gonna give me anything because all the sugar is up. And now huh. it, gave, it committed suicide to give you thousands of seeds to reap. All those things that you see in the flower seeds. Right. You take those down, you can plant thousands of the plants that it was, right? And then, so that that's a beauty. Agaves are so beautiful in that sense. And it, it's it's such a like like cool story just to think of, like you can do a little like sequence of that that history to understand, like it literally is suicide. It's like, they're like, okay, it, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. And so here I go, but it's like, okay, you're ready to go. I can make mezcal from you, right? Cause you shoot, you're about to shoot up. That means all of the sugars are ready. It's concentrated, it's, it's responsible timing to, to harvest it. Because you can harvest it before that, but it's pretty irresponsible because you still need more time to mature right. to get to that point. So, so if you're an agave farmer, you're going, you know, you you plant your your seedlings, your little babies, and you come back seven years later, and you're checking the tops to see if that if that shoot is starting to form, and that's when you know it's ready. Is that mm -hmm. kind of like what you're looking for? Yeah, and it's apparently like if, when you know. So basically, right now in the world of mezcal and agave, as a conversation, there's two things that people really focus on: cultivated and wild. Right. You touch on wild early on. Wild is absolutely a visual characterization of it. Like you have to go out there and study. So when we do wild batches, typically the batch of this is usually all wild uh, chino. And what ends up happening is it takes us days just to scout the area to understand which ones are mature because the seed landed there, who knows, one right. a year ago, the other one 10 years ago, who knows. But when you plant a, a site, you can really look at just one and see the maturity and assume they're all ready to plant at the same time. Right. So cultivation has a lot, of, a lot of efficiencies in that sense. So yeah, you go, you look at it, or you know by virtue of kind of standardization that certain agaves are five years. So you'll say, okay, in five years, let's do it. Even though maybe you could have used another year, but right. you're at least reached the point of the standard for it. Um, and then the other one, like a, you, the, was the first example was you you cultivate a site, you pledge it all this year, 2022. 
Uh, we'll go back 2027 20, and say, okay, it was five years. It's like I've been five years. That one looks like it's about to pop the Quixote. This is all ready to go. Let's go. Okay. And so you would do it that way. I just want to know 300 years ago, who the hell started this whole thing? Because it's... There's a, there's a lot of theories. Really? Yeah. yeah Tell yeah. me, Imam. Well, the... It was, the, all the, it was the shaman, right? I mean, spirits are spirits. It was the... It was the am I wrong? I don't know. Uh, well, the, the theory that happens in Mexico has a lot more to do with the natives. It revolves around lightning striking an agave. And uh, I've heard that before. And that created them yep. to understand it made alcohol and then from there evolving into different things. There's a lot of like kind of fanciful like like kind of stories and the mythology of yeah, it. Yeah, then yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's all but that that one is one of the ones that you know, from an accidental standpoint, kind of makes sense. It's like some something because you think about that part. It's like who the heck decided to shave off the leaves and cook it? Right. Like who did that? Right. So it's like who probably ate the eat first oyster? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So there's a yeah. lot of different things fermented on the on the ground there after getting struck and cooked and. Yeah. It's a really and then it rained, and then it fermented, and then, and then they ate it, and they got drunk. Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting about you talking about the stock, the Lulusic and Asparagus? Yeah. This is the beauty of what I was talking about, sugar and energy. My dad's, because my dad, where he grew up in Cotija, is very poor family. My dad had, like, a third-grade education, you know, very poor family. My dad was working as a, you know, whatever, five-year-old and harvesting corn and stuff, you know, like, that was his life up there. That, so our site where we produce Cotija is 100 yards from the house he was born in, wow. up in the hills. But my dad always tells me that one of his favorite desserts growing up was when they saw the stock, they would cut off the stock and they would they would they would char it right. and it would be sweet and that was his favorite dessert. Uh, <laughs> and so like it, it goes to show you that the sugar is present in that right. stock and, and lacking it down here. So it, it's a pretty cool tie-in. Also, we, we did one thing when we like right on Grove, no, not Grove, on uh, Orange. You know, there's a bunch of century plants there that. Mm -hmm. And I, I knocked them. Right, or Orange and Solano. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 I knocked walk my dog door. and my baby there, yeah. I knocked the lady's door and I said, hey, I had a question. She goes, you're here about my agaves, huh? And I'm like, how did you know? Goes, Every, <laughs> everyone always comes asking about my agaves. I said, okay, well, I want to do this little video because we're doing an event in Sacramento and it requires a stock because we're going to cook it to represent my dad's favorite dessert. And so I had a competition with my dad. We and Victor recorded it where we took axes to cut it. He beat me, of course, because he has more technique. Um, and, uh, and it was like two big stocks and we went at it with the axe and, and to the point where they finally fell down. And then we took those and we cooked, we, we charred them and had a little like historical dessert for him. But that was his favorite dessert. You know, huh. it was that, it was those, those, uh, those stocks. That's, that's what he grew up with. I mean, and that's the beauty of this is like, really, we're talking about a plant that's so ingrained in the local culture that, you know, you're feeding it to your cows, you're making you're making spirits out of it. You're cooking the stock as a dessert. Yeah. Um, and it grows wild everywhere. And now yeah. you can cultivate it. It's it's. Um, and, you know, you go from your dad who was working in the fields at five to now you have this brand. It's the it's not the American dream. It's the North American dream. You know, it's, it's the Mesoamerican dream, right? You know, it's, what I, we did a documentary. You know, it's on YouTube. It's called American Dream 2.0. Right. That's what it was because I, I recognize my parents is, is my parents path to coming to the U.S. And the way that they did was 100 percent thinking of obviously our family's future. That is there's two, but it was all revolved around us being educated here. Me going back, because we went from me and Adrian to now we have 60 people that work for us full time. Wow. And when we plant agave, it's 160 because we have temporary temp workers, right. just like the grapes. Right. When the harvest season comes, and that's been probably my biggest pride and joy is being able to be able to say I've impacted back home because of the U.S. You know, the yeah. I, I recognize that not a lot of people in this industry, especially if they're on the Mexican side fully, 
can speak as clearly to this category as I can. So that's why I always take up opportunities. Because it comes to, um, absolutely, you gotta tell you, let me shut up. Because like, at this point, it's like, I, I wanna be able to speak what we do, because I know someone else might have, a, they need a translator, things get lost in translation. And I'm like, no, let's talk about this. And, and so it becomes a huge advantage for us as a brand because of the, the the actual tie. So American Dream 2.0, that's totally. the, it's like an hour. Check it out. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're- Take, it, Get some bottle of wine or mezcal, drink and have fun. So let's, that's an important part. Um, how do people get a bottle of La Luna mezcal? Can you order, I mean, I know- Can you get it shipped shipping, to your house? Shipping yeah. is complicated, right? But you can do it. The, so there's an online portal we work with, it's called Speakeasy. Um, the domain is shop.lalunamezcal.com. It's owned by them though. Okay. And so they buy our inventory and then they'll ship it to 30 states. Okay. So there's 20 that gets screened against you. Or 20, 20, 20, 20 states you have to come here and buy a bottle exactly. and run over to Sonoma Market. Yeah, Sonoma That's Market, easy. Mobile, of course. But, um, That's a nice scam you did yeah. on Sonoma Market. That was yeah. really good. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. very, no, it, very it, nice. It, it, we've done one with BevMo, we've done one with smaller places too. Um, we're actually, uh, as a plug in right now, on September 16th is Mexican Independence Day. I, I feel very, uh, very uh, responsible to to recognize that day a little more than Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo got Cinco de Mayo is kind of a bogus holiday, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but it got, it got it absolutely got adopted as the Mexican holiday in the U.S. So September 16th is our actual Mexican Independence Day. So at Kina's Kitchen and Bar, we're doing mariachi from six to nine. We're releasing a special batch at that. My so my uh, my my business partner Mexican Adrian. Um, he's also my compadre, meaning that we were the, the godparents whose wedding recently, making my wife his comadre. So he's like, hey, for her, I want to make her a special 50 liter batch. And so it's a tequilana, and he distilled it with, um, distilled it with uh, mint, yerbabuena, and lime. Oh, and so, sounds delicious. Uh, so it's going to be released that day there, and it's going to be the first time that I can honestly say that my world of La Luna collides with my wife's world of Kina's Kitchen and Bar. And it'll be, you know, smaller menu because probably my family's gonna be there's gonna be a busy night, but it'll be mariachi and then from nine PM forward karaoke. So it'll be a fun time. And for those of you at home, uh Kina's Kitchen is on Highway Twelve. And it's it's Maxwell Village Shopping Center, the corner there by the park. Right by Starbucks. Right by Starbucks. Yeah, yeah uh, opposite side from Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah, next wait, wait, we're not leaving without trying these ones. Oh, no, in like these are the, the ones that I'm like, no, I'm so curious plastic about. Bottles are the plastic bottles are going to melt no, while we... Yeah. <laughs> I've told you guys a lot about um, the Destilado Con. And so this one is distilled with guava, prune, tejocote, apple, piloncillo, hibiscus, and tamarind. And so this is uh, espadín distilled with that. And so we distill in three things. That wood still I showed you with the, the staves, the tree trunk still, and also clay pot. This was built, done in clay pot. So it's gonna have a little more earthiness to it because of the clay pot. And then I, I was drinking the last one. What, were, what was the, the what was in this, the plants wise that you- I got it. Oh, sorry, oh, okay. Espa, espadín, espadín. Okay. That's the type of agave. Yeah. So espadín is an agave that's more typically known in Oaxaca. It's actually what almost everybody's introductory expression is. Um, but there's a gentleman who, who is our neighbor in Michoacán and he brought back rhizomes or kids, uh, little kids, pups from Oaxaca about seven years ago, planted them in Michoacan about 500 yards from our distillery and they became mature this year. So we bought, so this is our first time we do Espadín actually, because everybody that would come to you probably with like a, something to use for cocktails, it's always Espadín. Espadín is the most abundant agave in Oaxaca and we've never had one. Everyone, oh, where's your Espadín? We don't have one because Michoacan is not native. 
This one was Michoacan grown, but native to Oaxaca. So it's our first time we can actually have one. We have one with, without anything in it, uh, distilled with anything. And then this one has all those components. Like vegetable. vegetable. Mm -hmm. And why do you have these in different bottles? Yeah, so what's the what's with the plastic bottles? Uh, so when I come back from Mexico, the easiest thing to transport in is plastic because glass will break. And so at times, even because I'll bring back a lot, sometimes I brought back like 60 bottles like that in my luggage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's, so, yeah. that's legal? Yeah, in the U.S. actually, the U.S., the, no, sorry, California, because Texas, every, every state's different. Of course. Um, California allows for, if you have a direct flight, if you have a connecting flight, this is not true, but if you have a direct flight, you can bring up to 60 liters in your luggage for personal consumption. <laughs> you have to declare it as such. It's gonna be, right. it's gonna have a big year, Brian. <laughs> 60, <laughs> family. 60 yeah. liters, that's only, it's only how many liters a month? Uh, five. five. Five liters a month, yeah, well, you'll be, be fine. <laughs> a little more than one a week. Yeah. Liter, yeah. liter and a quarter a week. Mm -hmm. So that's um, that's the first one we've had that's distilled with anything. So you guys have an idea of what the first yeah. distilled cone. Uh, so in, in Mexico, at your distillery in Mexico, it's basically are they're working right now? There's yeah, is it a, right it's now. a constant process of, of harvest. <laughs> uh, let's FaceTime. <laughs> let's see what's going on in the. Oh, let's go yeah. see what's, absolutely. So it's constantly harvest, roast, or or cook ferment distilled it's like oh yeah we, we rebuild we right so we have a facility that that was built through a lot of intention once again to be bigger than what we needed at that time to grow into it versus getting to a point where we'd have to make dumb decisions to meet demand we're getting to a point where distillery number two even though it's three because the one in Cotilla, the one in Cotilla is very small so like i told you we have one six ton oven there and in that but we have eight ovens each one is different sizes, but together they can cook up to 120 tons at a time. Together, mm -hmm. and so it's it's one of the biggest artisanal distilleries in all of Mexico. And once again, it was done with that intention of growing into it. Now we're getting to the point where we're talking about the next one because it's like we're not there yet. We're absolutely not there yet, but we're also growing. And before we get to the point of, of, of making a bad decision, it's like, well, it's, we've always had that foresight. You know, being from Michoacan and not from Oaxaca for us has been really cool. One, obviously, because it's the home state of the family, of course, the real Italian. But the big thing was that we got a chance to observe the market. You know, like I got a chance as we were not growing to observe every brand that was growing and understand sensitivities, issues that they were dealing with, what the market cared about too. I, I, cause I was on the street selling. So like I heard what, what the issues were. You know, no different than I'd go to you guys like four years ago and you would say, well, what are you doing about water conservation? What are you doing about this? I heard all those things. So like, we had, like, when we built this place, like, okay, this, like I was saying, we're always trying to get ahead of it. Like, hey, this is a bad practice. Let's try to change it, you know? And so we don't modify our production, but we modify components of our production um, or, or things that we use wrong. Like for a very, very weird example, but we used to use fresh, whole chunks of wood for our distillation and you know, live wood fire for it. Not too long ago, we modified that to be 
the waste wood of the local mills. So basically all the shavings of the wood, we just use that because the, the still doesn't know where the heat is. Right, just the heat is. is heat. Exactly. And so for us, it was like, well, why would we waste fresh wood, what, a fresh tree, when we could just use the waste product? Yeah. A, it's cheaper, but B, it's way more efficient long-term for Mother Earth. Right. So we've always tried to be like in, in, uh, mindful of, of our usage, our footprint, our, our footprint, you know, like mm. it's going to be good for us. I don't really get much internet here. That's probably my only issue right now. That's uh, his own plaster building. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's there is Wi-Fi. And why the name La Luna? Um, so La Luna is. I was telling you about my dad's upbringing. Um, the moon for him was his light at night to play. Was his light at night to get home? Because we're, we're now there's a little bit of light up there. Very little still. But back then, like, you know, very poor area, no light. It was, so the moon was that. And it's kind of, a, it, well, that's the reason, but it's interesting now going into a setting where like moon has become so important, like the lunar this. And, no. and it's, and one thing I could say about that is how I hope one day everyone can share some of our spirits. Like we all have the same moon, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like when I'm Michoacan, just like that painting back there, when I'm in Michoacan hanging out and working, my kids have the same moon I do. Right. they're all the way up here so um it's uh it, it's been kind of like very sentimental at this point it, it started off just as that with my dad's story of like the moon being that for him um and then it obviously ties into the valley moon oddly enough you know that we're hmm. that's where we're from right. yeah so it's 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 kind of it can't be good accident it, it kind of covers a lot of different things for our story so i have we should we should try this one this is one of my favorites on the okay okay Got one, more. one yeah. more, one more, one more, one more for, and then we'll make sure this. I know Brian. Two more. Two more. Okay. It's a it's a mezcal show, John. It's going to be a long show. Sure. Sorry, your butt's sore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who do you do you guys go through one of the larger distributors, or are you going uh, as much as you can direct? No, we're southern now, and we're okay. contractually with them, so it makes it efficient for you, but it right. also makes it you know sometimes one of those things where it's it's. Um, Definitely sign of growth, but like we became attracted to them, um, and and uh, they've taken us on, and, and it's quite the maze to work to, to work with them at times with um, to understand how to be better within their big network. Right. But luckily, everyone can order us now. Like that's what I can say. So some people are reluctant to at times or don't know about us. So we're on the streets. We're on the streets selling and educating, like Scotty does with you know coming through and trying to educate. And, my sister is, is doing that now as well. Betsy, she moved on. Betsy used to be a counselor at high school. She worked at Hannah Boy Center. And then I, I told her one day, I said, hey, I'd love for you to come work with the family businesses, you know, at the restaurant. And she's been a trooper. So she helps me. She, in the mornings, she's with my dad sometimes baking. Um, in the afternoon yesterday, she was waitressing at Kina's. And during the day, she was working the forklift, putting the pallets on that. Wow. Yeah, so, holy cow. Yeah, she's, she's a beast. That's awesome. Yeah, but you know, I think she's also, you know, I'm very proud to have her with us and I'm very excited for the future. It's like, I, you know, it's a, it's, it's a base start hopefully, but like she's in the she's in the family you, businesses, you know, and I think it's really cool. Um, she gets a chance to, to live within it every day with us. So talk, we're, we got, we're on the orange label. Oh, yeah. We're on the orange label. My favorite right now. This is an ensemble, a blend of azul and another one that I don't have with me called Espadincillo. And uh, not Espadin, but Espadincillo, another local guy from Michoacan. And just happens to be one of my favorites right now that of, of, of our batches. Mm. Nice balance, totally. Clean. It, it's the most 
tequila like for whether that's a compliment or not yeah. i don't know i mean it just it's you know not super smoky you know it's or mezcal your palate has adjusted or my palate is adjusted it's i had a taco um yeah but it's i mean it's smoke it's but it's not as sort of like um abundantly smoky as some of the other ones or maybe i have adjusted maybe it's bottle this is bottle number eight it, it becomes subtle, <laughs> this is it becomes taste subtle. eight it becomes so at some point the smoke is like honestly i hate to say it because it's probably don't have people buying a full of it but like i don't taste any smoke anymore right at all i don't get it like i either some brand that i'll try just because of comparison i'm like holy goodness like yeah you know different for sure that's maybe some artificial smoke it is what it is right. <laughs> uh, it's something it's something where i i i, I would at, at kina's we try to do uh, end of the month mezcal tasting where people come in there's like a dinner and then i do this i do this i talk about all the expressions and what, how we produce wait a minute Hector. Tell you actually do like a dinner where you'll explain all this stuff oh, yeah. and you guys are serving food. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and and it's really fun. How do we? How do you get? How, how do you book that? Go <laughs> on to kinaskitchen.com. K i n a. K i n a. I think it's Kina's. So Kina's Kitchen. Kina's Kitchen. K i n i s. Kina's. So. So we go through this, but you're serving better food. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tacos that weren't aren't cold sitting around. Kina's Kitchen dot com or Kina's Kitchen Bar dot com. Either one, they'll go to the same place, and then there's a. It'll say mezcal mezcal tasting. You go to that. It's usually the last Friday of each of each every other month. We just did one. I'll get you the exact date though. But every go to the website. It'll be there. I just basically show up. I don't. I literally plan my work travel and i tell kina and, and nicole who, who helps us with the marketing and, and programming of this i say hey when do i need to be in town <laughs> and i literally the other day i flew in i had a meeting in palo alto i flew into san francisco 11 30 i had a meeting at 12 30 in palo alto took me it's friday so traffic coming back home is stupid <laughs> and i drove home i got there right in the nick of time got off the car started talking and we did, I don't know, five courses, five, 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 uh, five or not six expressions of bachelor party. People from out of town, it's kind of cool. Right. You know, that, and, and so I'll go, I'll go as deep as the people let me. Cause I, even right now, I feel like we could do another two hours on specifics. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I've always been fascinating with wine fermentation, um, because of what we do. Like I want to understand it better. Cause like, uh, I know what we do, but like a lot of times we go, well, do you measure this? I'm like, no, we don't measure anything. Like it's all like, through experience and just visuals and, but I do like to know how people go about measuring or whatever, because I feel like it'll give me reason to why we do things, if not maybe understand how we could be a little better. You know, there's certain things that'll happen, but yeah. I've never understood secondary fermentations. Like I, there's certain things I'm just like, what? Well, I don't, I don't I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't, do you have malic acid and lactic acid in? No, not that. In, in, the, in the, I mean, it's all, it would all be happening in the mash. Because, but I don't know. I, I mean, I don't really know enough about this. I'm yeah, by the time you distill podcast, you're not a scientist. Yeah, by the time you distill it, I don't. I, you drink alcohol, right? And, and, and basically, the part where the, the, the ferment is stopped being active, you taste the, the mash and tastes like beer. Like I have, yeah, yeah. Or like ready to distill. But like, I I heard recently some tequilas have gone into malic 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 from yeah malic fermentation. And the right? But I'm always kind of curious. People would say, "Oh, if you let it go too far, it's going to go bad." And I'm like, typically speaking, ferment is that. Like, you know, it's it's a, yeah, you're, it's a progression of going bad. You know? Totally. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it would be interesting to see like what is the 
the bricks that you start at with the mash yeah. and then you add the water and then it soaks it up and then you get another there'd be another sugar level yeah. and then it starts to ferment have you you, and you don't I know, know you don't know the alcohol thumb, level of the rule of thumb we're kind of at 14 percent 14 to 16 14 16 bricks 14 16 bricks when we start our, our when you when you started mash. yeah because agaves vary of course but like, let's just say um tequilano, which is a standard for tequila and all that yeah. That could get up into the 40s of bricks. So we'll add the water oh, okay. to reduce it down to 40. Where do you want your wine? I mean, it, you know, it kind of depends, but we're low, shooting low somewhere 20s. from, you know, if you're making uh, Vinclair for champ, you know, for sparkling wine, you're shooting for, you know, the high teens to 20 to know, 30, right? 20 to 30, okay. you know, usually less than 30, but the, the, the rough math is essentially two bricks to one percent alcohol or a little it's a little bit okay. a little bit you know especially with modern fermentation methods you can get a little more efficiency out of that um so so if you're starting your mash at 16 bricks 14 to 16 bricks the final product is probably somewhere between six seven eight percent alcohol it, before you distill it it tends to be lower just because of those 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 inefficiencies of wild fermentation right so like i, I would say we probably do backflips so we got to five okay but like you know between three to five we're getting there and then when we distill once we get to between 15 to 20 depending on where that original alcohol was okay and then obviously the last the part of it is, last part gets yeah. into the 40 yeah well the body of it accumulated right because right. when it first starts distilling like i mentioned it's at 70 closer to 70 higher 60s and then dwindles down closer to zero towards the tails right and the body of that all that makes our final our final 48 percent so it's it's a, it's a pretty nuanced thing but like i said maybe that's for a different day to, to, to like have that, that but like i'd love to because I, I i've still yet one of my biggest like like pursuits that i want to have in a similar uh, situation of that tasting we do at Kina is I want to get together with more of the wine friends that I have and just talk shop, like yeah. sit down, drink, drink like we're doing here, but talk shop because I want to hear from them. You know, I, I always tell me like, I was like, I grew up here. I know a lot of my friends from my people that I know are winemakers. Right. And I've never sat with them to actually discuss the similarities and differences scientifically yeah. or like practical wise. I mean, I'd love to sit and taste um, the same varietal, same, you know, same region, but different fermentation temperatures, like the summertime fermentation yeah, when it's when the winter fermentation or, you know, the fermentation lengths. I, I mean, it seems like, yeah, there's a there's a thousand ways that we can dive deeper into this sure. and have well, five hour mezcal shows <laughs> instead of a two hour mezcal <laughs> show. October, October for yeah, sure. That's where we are. October 20th is going to be the next mezcal, okay. mezcal tasting at Kina's because spooky season Halloween yeah, mezcal. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that going to be, you know, you got to, do you have like a, is that going to be Halloween? No. Well, Halloween is a couple days later, 31st. right? 31st. Oh, 31st. But mm -hmm. do you have like a, a you know, some sort of squash or calabasas? Uh, we could. Do, we'll do, do a little, uh, <laughs> a little soup. Well, I was thinking more like, you know, the, the mezcal on, oh, do a oh, fermentation no, with like I, a I I could, you know calabaza that'd be cool yeah I'm listen honestly that's been the cool thing about us like we're not egotistical we're first generation producers at, at that because you know I think the one thing with mezcal a lot of times what gets glorified and I'm equally happy to glorify it is fifth generation sixth generation people that have been able to preserve their tradition we hold a completely different candle because it's like we're first generation we have to own that like we, right. we don't have we, we've created our practice. We, we're also open-minded to do some unique things that maybe are 
maybe not as kosher or whatever, but it's like, it's within our, our, our practices. Like I'm willing to distill with some, some, some onion and, and, uh, some cilantro, some cilantro, cilantro and savoy. Let's, let's try it out. Like what, like what's the worst that could happen? It's going to be 50 liters. We'll drink it for sure. Right. And, and we can say it was good or we can say, no, we will do that again. But also that's what brings new people in though. Agreed. Right? Agreed. Because we have to have that. Yeah. We need more people in the category. That's why yeah. I'm very... If it just uh, stays this stodgy thing that this is the way we do it, no, this exactly. is the way it has to be done, yeah. then people are like, ah. It, it, it becomes like um, isolated. Like you're like, right. I can't get in that group. Right. And that's not who we are. I want more, to your point, you're 100% accurate. Like I want, that's why I want to talk to wine people. I want to talk to scotch people, whiskey people. Hey, let's talk about this different category that I think you'll love. Well, let's give it a try and this is how we make it maybe why you'd want to come try it um so it's 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 uh the work in progress is adding more people to the category in terms of consumers and educating like, yeah. it happens like simultaneously yeah this smells and tastes a little sweeter to me mm -hmm. and this is just ones. agave this has nothing not, not this with anything this is a different agave called the broda canta it's a newer agave we started working with um local name they call it mexicano scientifically broda canta it's a different one broda canta this is a fascinating tasting, Sal. For sure. Uh, I, I know we've been barely, barely scratched the surface. Sure. One more time. Um, September 16th is a big day. Big day. Big day. Uh, it's also International Grenache Day. Slightly, le slightly less important than Mexican independence. Uh, but we're here doing... Duron, a little okay. play on Coturones. We'll have we'll have somebody outside making tacos, pairing it with Grenache, and on September sixteenth from four to seven. Oh. So you can come here, have a glass of Grenache, a couple of mariachi. tacos, then go mariachi and and mezcal and more tacos. That's a good day at uh, at Kina's. That'll be a good day, and then um, take a ca take a cab home, take yes. a taxi. Don't drive. Yeah, cab for sure. Yeah, call, get an Uber. Call Sonoma Taxi. Uh, not worth it. Walk. It's. I mean, it'd be a long walk, but it'll be. It won't be a thousand degrees then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're still ninety days away. Yeah. Hopefully, the sun yeah. simmers down. And then, if you want to order this at home, if you're a lucky in the thirty states, it's store it's shop. Shop.lalunamescal.com, or you just go to our website, lalunamescal.com, and then go to the American site forward slash USA, and then um, you could order it that way. And then locally, if you're in Sonoma, Sonoma Market, if you're in Sonoma County, Bottle Barn, Willoughby's, Bevmo. Um, uh, you're there. Diverse. You're there. You're there. Yeah. Perfect. Right on. Right, you got any shout outs? I would talk Where'd about- Where'd you get the tacos from? <clears throat> El Coyote. Oh, nice. Yeah. I would uh, I would promote the Phil Couture dinner, but it was sold out, oversold, uh, oversold, <clears throat> and I still get I'm getting people that are hitting me up every day for tickets. Every so day, I don't I don't want to move it to a bigger space because I like the space we're doing it at. Um, but we can only fit thirty people. I think we're at thirty four right now, so <clears throat> we might have a kids table. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Maybe you can pay extra to come sit at the kids' table. Yeah, that's that'll be the fun uh, table. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the fun table. Um, off to the side. The whole thing is going to be a blast. Don't. don't no. sorry, Brian. And then uh, Sam, I know you got a vinyl Sunday. Vinyl Sunday. The tickets are live. Uh, Eventbrite. David Saw Nelson that. band. And I don't uh, know that band, but I looked him up on YouTube. David Nelson. Oh, David yeah, Nelson. Yeah. You know, Olden in the Way. New Riders of the Purple Sage. You know, he was he was playing with Jerry Garcia before the Grateful Dead, kind of. Uh, and he's he's a living legend. The band that he's got now is awesome Barry Sless uh, who's you know from from uh, Moon Alice Pete Sears Pete Sears was in a bunch of things oh I've known Pete uh, for years 
Rivers. Wally man. Ingram yeah. on drums. Wally was uh, Cheryl Crow's drummer during you know like uh, Sunset Boulevard kind of era. Okay. Um, so it's it's a all star band. David Nelson is awesome. There are not a ton of opportunities to see these guys. Uh, you know, David's never, in his yeah. in his eighties, I think. So this will be uh, at the Denmark Street Barn, um, out in the middle of a vineyard. Uh, tickets are like I said, tickets are on sale. Um, but uh, Valley Bar and Bottle doing the catering. I, I challenged the chefs at Valley to do uh, lot food, so it'll be like you know you're at a you're at a dead show. You get a, a veggie burrito and some cool food from Valley. We pour in a bunch of wine. There's two bands. Um, Stanley Mouse probably showing up doing live painting. Tanner, Tanner, Tanner Wally State Fair. So that's Tanner's Tanner's band oh. as the opening act. Uh, it's uh, it's got it all. Right. Uh, and it's October 9th. It's the fifth anniversary of the fires. Uh, and so proceeds from the event, all, you know, from the ticket sales and this the wine goes sales. to Maya Camus. Yeah, to the Maya Camus Volunteer Fire Department. Nice. And your dad's turning 70. And my dad's turning 70. Well, so it's a big deal. It's Party. a big deal. We're, cel- we're going hard. Party. We're celebrating. We should probably have a bottle of two or uh, a mess call somewhere. Sitting, hidden oh, hidden oh, on the property. Sweet. Come yeah. Bring one, right? Yeah, when the, moon, when the moon comes, when the sun sets <laughs> and the moon comes out, we'll go to the La Luna. Uh, vintage Festival? Oh, and the Vintage Festival. If you haven't gotten tickets, uh, there's the Legends Dinner Saturday night. October 7th um, Buena Vista at Buena Vista you know fancy dinner five courses pairing at every table there'll be a different uh, Sonoma legend winery pulling and the whole deal is everybody's gonna be pulling out uh, old bottles of Sonoma Valley wine they want us to you know Older than 2000, which of course there's no 16600 that goes back fast, past uh, 2007. Right. But we're going to dig into Phil's cellar and um, pull out some old magnums. Um, happy Kateri. birthday, Hawk Waka Waka. Oh, that's right. Yep. She's been drinking some epic shit. Yeah. She had her birthday parties. Uh, thanks for the invite, Elaine. But right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> some old vintage cabs. Old cabs. Yeah. Birthday your cabs? Was nice. there a birthday cab? Mm-hmm. I guess it's important nice. to ask. Yeah. <laughs> and how was your harvest this morning? Everything went well? Harvest was great. Uh, it was, uh, you know, that first alarm, the first harvest, you know, you haven't really reset your brain clock. So, you know, I had a hard time going to bed early. And then that first alarm at four o'clock um, was pretty jarring. And then Althea decided to wake up at four o'clock. So that made the morning a little crazy. But uh, well, she's smart. She knew it was going to be hot again. Today. Yeah, well, she, and she went back to sleep. She actually. Okay. And, and finally, it had cooled off a little bit. So, you know, yesterday we had a high of like 112, 111. 114 is what I saw. 114. Yeah. And when I was driving you know, at, my at house. 6 in the morning, driving from, you know, my house just down the street from Picasso Cafe to Landmark Winery, uh, 62 was the coldest on the on the car thermometer. So you're talking about a, a half, a, 60 a degree 50 swing. De- yeah. A 50 degree swing yeah. uh, in, in, you know, 14 hours. Yeah. So pretty wild. Pretty, pretty we're gonna get hot again tomorrow, and then hopefully it'll be cool. Then it backs off, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Back it's supposed to be 108 tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Today's a ton of ton of relief. We'll, we'll scratch a century. Yeah, but uh, stay cool. Drink, drink, drink. Uh Cold, Drink everything. cold wine, yeah. cold mezcal, a little mezcal on the rocks, yeah. and a lot of water. <laughs> Stay hydrated. Make a Paloma, or just you know. I love I love the grapefruit and smoke. It's so good yeah. together. Yeah. So, a quick hack: fever tree grapefruit or any kind of grapefruit. Yeah. Like that's easy with a little splash of lime. Easy. Yep. Or 
you want to get funky and have fun, grab a kombucha, drink the first little piece of it, and then put some mezcal in there. Uh, but if I'm in the plot, you guess you would think kombucha. Yeah, he's really takes his gut health seriously. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just tastes good. I love it. Fuck, yeah, 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 like, totally. Those funky flavors. Yeah. All right. All right. Drink more mezcal. There you go. Enjoy. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.